wow, you can hear a pin drop in this place. It's like, hello? Hello, 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 hello. So good to be with you this morning. Um, Let me pray for us as we continue. Lord God, we thank you. We give gratitude because of what you've done for us, because of who you are. We give you gratitude for bringing us together as a beloved community, as brothers and sisters, that we get to hear from you, that we get to sing praises to you, that we get to be in relationship with you and with one another. So Lord, we give you glory. We give you this time. For your glory, Jesus, we pray. Amen. Amen. Well, good morning, Beller Church. Whether you are here or online, it's good to be together. My name is Pastor Mike Morgan. I am not Pastor Drew Sams. Uh, it's weird. Some people are like, they do that. They're like, that was such a great sermon. And I was like, I didn't, I didn't preach. You got to look a little closer, like we're different people. <laughs> but anyway, Pastor Drew is uh, with his family in the desert. They're celebrating Thanksgiving as a family right now. And so he's asked, to, I would preach. And I'm like, yes, this is so exciting. We've been in this series together as a church. We're in a season of giving starting from October, November, and through December. Uh, but we've been in this series in November focused on gratitude intensified because as a church we long we're we're praying Holy Spirit would you do this new work in us would you in, make our gratitude intensified would you like we just want to be a grateful people we just want to be identified and, and we want that to flow out of us this this gratitude Lord and so we've been exploring the book of Colossians and Colossians was written by Paul and the crazy thing about this book uh, written by Paul was that he was writing while in prison. And if you read Colossians, like you can't get away from the fact that Paul just keeps admonishing the church to be grateful. And he's in prison. I'm like, that's incredible that a person in prison would be like, listen, church, y'all need to be grateful. We need to be a grateful people. It has to be an identifying marker of who we are as a community. Be grateful. And he's preaching from prison, or he's writing from prison. I'm preaching from the pulpit. And so we've been playing with this metaphor, right? It's a food metaphor. Shocker. Uh, Beller Church talking about food. We like to do this. But uh, it's this food pairings, right? And as we're anticipating Thanksgiving, we're considering this metaphor of pairings. And we know now, like since the staff went on this, you know, uh, staff appreciation day, we went to the Gourmandise School in Santa Monica. We learned how to make pasta from scratch. And you make pasta with two key ingredients. Yeah, that's, that's me. I'm not going to brag, but that's pretty good pasta. I mean, look at that. That is... Anyway, okay, so I'm going to brag. But anyway, we, I had no clue what I was doing going in. And it's just two key ingredients. It's flour and it's egg. Okay, good, eggs. And we learned that if you were to, you know, make flour and eggs, you get pasta. But if you do flour and water or any other ingredient that waters it down, you get like paste, right? And so we're looking at these two key ingredients this morning, this idea of love paired with gratitude, or gratitude paired with love. It's the title of the sermon is Grateful Love. So what does it look like to pair gratitude with love? If you pair gratitude and love, you get pasta. If you pair gratitude with some other watered-down version other than love, you get paste. Your gratitude just doesn't taste good. Doesn't taste good. So we're going to explore that this morning together. 
Let's, uh, if you would, open up your Bibles to the book of Colossians. If you didn't bring your Bible, there's a Red Pew uh, Bible directly in front of you. The page number is 958. We're looking at Colossians 3, verses 12 through 17. Or you can just go into your smartphone and use Uversion. Uh, it's an incredible app. There's so many different translations. This morning, we're going to be reading from the NRSV, which is the New Revised Standard Version. Uh, and so at the end of this reading, I'm going to say... Uh, This is the reading of God's word. And if you're grateful for God's word this morning, would you reply by saying thanks be to God? Colossians 3, 12 through 17. As God's chosen ones, holy and beloved, clothe yourselves with compassion, kindness, humility, meekness, and patience. Bear with one another. And if anyone has a complaint against another, forgive each other. Just as the Lord has forgiven you, so you also must forgive. Above all, clothe yourselves with love, which binds everything together in perfect harmony. And let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts, to which indeed you were called in the one body. And be thankful. And let the word of Christ dwell in you richly. Teach and admonish one another in all wisdom. And with gratitude in your hearts, sing psalms and hymns and spiritual songs to God. Whatever you do, in word or deed, do everything in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father through him. This is the reading of God's word. I don't know about you, but when I was a kid, I did this strange thing. I would go, I'm talking like when I was like three or four years old, I would go up into my parents' bedroom and I'd walk into my dad's closet and I would put on his clothes. I would put on his boots, okay? So imagine a three-year-old wearing some cowboy boots that are like size 10, a three-year-old, and it's like up to my hip, like the boot goes all the way up to my hip. And then I find his, this is like in the early 80s, and I find his uh, jean cowboy hat. I, I don't know, that must have been in, in the 80s? Ever? I don't know. But I didn't care. It was my dad's. And so I put it on and I would wear this huge cowboy hat with these, these super tall boots. And I'm like sliding around in his bedroom, just wanting to be my dad, right? Wanting to be a cowboy, wanting to be my dad. And the crazy thing is that just recently I see my son doing the same thing. Like he's climbing into my closet and he's pulling out my sandals because we live by the beach, they're rainbow sandals, and he's trying to fit them between his big toe and his other toe, and he gets them kind of in the middle. You know, it doesn't matter. He puts them on, and then he gets my hat, and it's a full-brimmed kind of, you know, straw hat. You know those lifeguard hats? Those aren't cool either, but they really protect you from the sun. So I put one of those on. Uh, well, he's putting a, he puts it on, and he's got my sandals, and he's sledding like cross-country skiing through the house, and he grabs a book, and he sticks it under his arm, and he's like... <laughs> Not because it's a Bible. He's not trying to be a preacher. No, he's like, Daddy, it's a surfboard. Look, I'm a surfer. I'm a dad. Daddy, I'm a surfer. And I'm like, yes, you are, son. You lean into that. You will be a surfer. Anyway, that's no. You're going to be a pastor. Maybe. I don't know. I don't know what he's going to be. I don't want to put it all on him, but definitely a surfer. Okay, so anyway, um, so he's walking around, and I'm like, it's incredible. He's doing the same thing. He wants to be like his dad. And what's interesting is that I didn't stop doing this when I went into middle school or into high school. It changed wardrobes. I didn't go looking into my dad's wardrobe in high school. I started looking into my brother's wardrobe. Did you ever do this? 
Like I would go into my brother's wardrobes and uh, I have a brother who's five years older, his name's Mark. Another brother who's seven years older, his name's Matt. And these guys, you remember the, the fashion in the late 80s, early 90s? Anyone remember? Okay, like Stussy, do you remember the, the brand Stussy? Okay, Stussy was really cool. There was like Gotcha, there was Guess. Remember the triangle? I think Guess still exists, but like you could get Guess jeans. Do you remember when we used to peg I say we, I don't know if you did this, but we used to peg our jeans. You know what pegging your jeans is? It's like you would come alongside and you would just get it as tight as you can, right? And you would have to roll it and like you would redo it and redo it because you had to get it just right. You had to get the peg just right. It's basically what all high schoolers are wearing right now is the fashion of the late 80s, early 90s. And what's crazy is that my, my brother's closets were full of all this cool stuff. Like they had the coolest clothes because they were cool in the 80s. Not so cool now, you know, like Zinger. Okay, I don't know if they're watching, but maybe not. I love my brothers, but just I get to. So they have all these cool clothes and I would raid my brother's closet any chance I got. Why? Because I wanted to be like them. I wanted to be just like my brothers. And that's what the Apostle Paul is kind of getting at here is like, listen, church, Christians, if you want to be like Christ, you got to wear Christ's clothes. You got to put them on. So let's go there. Let's go back to Colossians. Open up your Bibles. Colossians chapter 3, verse 12. He says, as God's chosen ones, holy and beloved, clothe yourselves, clothe yourselves with compassion. Stop. Compassion. He says, basically, I want you to put on a heart. Like, wow, what does that mean? Am I like heartless? He's like, no, I want you to put on a splachna. Can you say splachna? Okay, now apologize to the person next to you for spitting on them. Splachna is this gut innard thing. Like, I want you to put on the guts of love, like of compassion. I want it to be like core of who you are. I want it to be like, ugh, splachna. Compassion. I want you to put on kindness. I want you to put on humility and gentleness and patience. Put these things on, but above all, listen, of utmost importance. Look, if you're going to have one staple item in your closet, it has to be love. Above all, over all, love is the staple for every Christian's wardrobe. So you got to turn to your neighbor right now. I want you to smile at them. I want you to look deep into their eyes. And I want to say, love looks so good on you. You're like, wow, that was really awkward. I don't know the last time someone's actually looked me in the eyes. Am I supposed to look up from my phone or I, I feel like I'm blushing. I don't know what to do with this feeling now. I just... There's so many different ways in which we can describe love. And in the New Testament, there's four different Greek words. I'm not going to go totally into every single one, but I'll just give you a high-level idea of this. There's this love called storge. Storge is this empathy bond. It's this relational love between parent and child. Uh, There's the philea love. You've heard this, Philadelphia. It's this um, familial love, this brother and sister kind of love. There's the eros love, the romantic, the passionate love, right? And then there's this agape love. Have you heard of agape? Agape is this Greek word that's used in the New Testament to describe God's kind of love. This is God's love. This is his. 
It's, it's used 143 times in the New Testament. It is God's love towards the world. It is the highest level of love that humanity can experience or know. It is passionate and selfless and committed. It is this love that makes the first move. It's this love that goes the full distance. And it's a love that has the well-being of the other in mind first. That's the kind of love. Whenever you hear love, hear agape. This is God's love. The actual love of God that Paul is telling us, I want you to put on. Put on God's love. This isn't a cute kind of love. This isn't a sentimental kind of love. This is a fundamental kind of love. Fundamental to the Christian life and faith. But before we're supposed to put on this love, before we're even able to put on this love, we have to strip something off. Like it wouldn't make sense for me to walk over to the sweaters and try to put a sweater over this jacket. It doesn't make sense I'm wearing a jacket when it's 85 degrees to begin with. But anyway, it wouldn't make sense for me to put on a sweater on top of it. That's ridiculous. You have to take something off in order to put something else on. So Colossians chapter three, verse eight says, Paul says, now, You must get rid, circle that, highlight it, underline it, get rid of all such things, anger, wrath, malice, slander, and abusive language from your mouth. Do not lie to one another, seeing that you have stripped off, circle, highlight, underline the old self with its practices. Paul is telling us we have to take these things off. And before we get into that, putting on and taking off, I want to use a different metaphor because maybe this has been used before and so you, I want you to hear this in a new way. What do you think of when I say the word unsubscribe? Where's your mind go? Emails, right? Oh my gosh. Our inboxes are full with emails that we never subscribe to. Like, how, how did you get my email address? How are you writing me these things that you think are so important? Like, it might, I, I don't even have, I have an email account, a Yahoo account, that is designated to all the things that I do not want to read. It's just a separate one, I don't even check it. And I realize that if I gave you my Yahoo account, I apologize. It's awkward. This, I'm sorry. But anyway, this Yahoo account is just full, and it's like 1,500 unread emails. Yeah, I never subscribed to them. Imagine what would take place if I just took 10 minutes a day, 10 minutes of my time every day, and I went through my emails, and I started unsubscribing from the things I no longer wanted. What would that do? What would, that would free up so much in my life. I wouldn't have to get so many new email accounts. What are you subscribing to? What are the ways of being that you are, yes, putting on or taking off, but what are you subscribing to? You know, before the internet, did you know that there was a before the internet? Before the internet, we had to literally subscribe to things, whether it was like TV Guide or Reader's Digest or Chicken Soup for the Soul. Does anyone ever subscribe to Chicken Soup for the Soul? I remember where my TV guide was as a kid. It was in the, like the, the little table next to the couch, and I'd pull out the drawer, and every you know, Friday, it's like, what's on TGIF, right? And no? Okay, that was just me. But if there was a subscription that we didn't want, what did we do? 
We just let it lapse. We just stop paying for it and it would no longer come to our door. That's not the case anymore. You no longer want an email. Like you can unsubscribe to something and like a, a year later, it's back in your inbox. It just happened to my wife, Rebecca. She's like, I, I, I know I unsubscribe from that. And it's back. They just pile up and our inboxes are full. So we have to consider what does it look like for whether they're intentional or unintentional subscriptions, what would it look like for us to unsubscribe? Because most of us don't intentionally subscribe to hate. We don't intentionally subscribe to anger or rage. We don't intentionally subscribe to slander. Or we don't wake up in the morning and go, yes, I really want to be verbally abusive this morning. Or I want to be dishonest. Like we don't typically tend to intentionally subscribe to these things. But whether intentional or unintentional, these things have a huge impact on our life and the lives of those we love. We must, as a church, unsubscribe every day. So we're going to do a little practice. It's called an imaginative prayer. You might have done this before. You may never have done this before. I want you to close your eyes right now with me. Close your eyes. Take a deep breath. Let it out. Relax your shoulders. Just take a moment and just thank God for this moment right now. Quiet the stillness. The fact that you can breathe and just relax and be present in this moment. And I want you to think about what is in your inbox right now. Not your Gmail account, not your Yahoo, not your AOL. What's in you? The things that you're subscribing to Whether intentional or unintentional, is it anger? Is it resentment? Jealousy? Impatience? Unforgiveness? What's in the subject line of that email? I want you to just choose one. And I want you to click it. I want you to scroll down past the 18 point, all caps, multiple colored font, In the very bottom, in a small six-point font, you see a blue underlined word. It simply reads, unsubscribe. I want you to consider for a moment what it is that you're about to do. And I want you to click it. And it sends you to a new page and asks you why you want to unsubscribe. And it gives you a couple of options. The first is I never intentionally subscribe to this email. Second is I no longer wish to receive what it is that you're selling. I want you to choose one. Click it. Now open your eyes. Open your eyes. Imagine what would take place if we just took 10 minutes every day and began to unsubscribe from the intentional or unintentional ways that we are living, the things that we are listening to, the things we're allowing to influence us. If we started clearing our inboxes, why? Because when we clear our inboxes, we can actually subscribe to the way of Christ, to the things of Christ. When we take off something, we can actually put on something else. We have to make space for God's subscriptions. So if you want to subscribe to love like Jesus, Colossians 3.13 says this, bear with one another. And if anyone has a complaint against another, forgive each other just as the Lord has forgiven you. I want you to circle, highlight, underline, just as. Just as, in the same way. This idea didn't originate from Paul. This is 
Paul following Christ. Christ says in John chapter 13, verse 34, you're welcome to turn there if you want. John 13, 34 reads, I give you a new commandment, that you love one another just as I have loved you, Jesus says, you also should love one another. It's a commandment, this love one another. I want you to love like I love, Jesus says. I want you to love one another. And in the Gospel of John, Jesus continues to drill into this. He says, if you love me, you'll keep my commandments. And my commandment is that you would love one another. So love one another. Are you getting the fact that, or a sense that this love thing is kind of important? It's like this is like the fundamental aspect of being a Christian. The core, the staple in every Christian's wardrobe is this love. I give you a new commandment that you would love one another. It's not a suggestion. This isn't some good advice. This isn't some insight for community living. This is a command. It's a command from Christ. And it's a, a command. It's a, love is something that is so desperately needed in our neighborhoods today. I've been reflecting on even just preaching this week. Just to think, a year ago, the week before I was preaching a year ago, there were fires in Thousand Oaks. There was a shooting at Borderline and we were talking about gratitude. And just this past month, there were fires in Santa Clarita and just this past week, there were fires, uh, there was a shooting at Saugus High. Like, this is not something cute that we're talking about. This is something that's powerful. This is, needs to be something that's practical. It's something we must, as a church, put on. Just as Christ loves, we also ought to love one another. How did Jesus love? Well, if you open up your Bibles to the book of Romans, Romans chapter 5, Matthew, Mark, Luke, John, Acts, Romans chapter 5. Romans 5, verses 7 through 8. Indeed, indeed, Paul says, rarely will anyone die for a righteous person. Though perhaps for a good person, someone might actually dare to die. But, but God proves his love for us and that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Matthew 5 Verses 43 through 48, Christ commands us to love our enemies. Church, I'm not talking about just loving nice people, good people, you know, regularly attending, church-going, Christian kind of people. This is talking about loving one another. Listen, in this room, in this sanctuary, we do not all agree. If we were to have dinner around a conversation, there might be some moments of awkward silence. And yet we are called to love one another. Even those that are at odds with us, we are to love them just as Christ has loved us. And there are many ways in which Christ has loved us, many ways in which Christ demonstrated his love. He washed his disciples' feet, he provided for them, he encouraged them, he comforted them, he corrected them, he forgave them. But I want us to take a 60,000 foot view for a moment, a God's kind of perspective view on the way in which God demonstrated his love towards us. John 3:16 and 17. John 3:16, one of the most you know, memorized verses in Scripture. But John 3:17, one of the least memorized, it seems like. 
For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son that whoever would believe in him would not perish but have everlasting life. For God did not send his son, verse 17, into the world to condemn the world but that through him the world might be saved. I butchered that. (laughs) Basically, that's the point. He didn't send his son into the world to condemn the world but that through him the world might be saved. To love like Jesus loves us means that God approached us first. God came to us before we even made any kind of movement towards him. He came to us. He broke through heaven and entered into our time and space, into our reality, and pursued us first, even when we were opposed to him. And he went the full distance. None of this like, I'll meet you halfway kind of love if you ever experienced that, especially in relationships, whether it's a friendship or like a a marital relationship, you're like, uh, I'll meet you halfway. And you like kind of tiptoe towards each other and you're like, no. Like, what is that? Like, we gotta go full towards one another. We have to go the full distance, right? You gotta go approaching the person first. You gotta go the full distance And it has to be about the well-being of the other. Not about what's in for me, but what does this mean for you? That's how Christ loved us. Approached us first, went the full distance, and was seeking out our well-being even when we were at odds with him, when we didn't agree with him, when we were considered his enemies, or we considered him our enemy. He loved us like that. And Christ says, I want you to love just as I loved you. It has to be practical. So yes, I talk about marriage. That would be, imagine what that would do in your relationship. Is it easy? No. Is it transformational? 100%. It would transform your marriage if you love like that. Anyone have a friend who's wronged them? How about a difficult coworker? Anyone work with difficult people? No? That's just the rest of the staff with Mike Morgan. Like everyone's like, (laughs) we have this one person in our staff who will remain nameless. Pastor Mike Morgan, he's really difficult. Anyone uh, on social media? What would that do in your social media relationships? What would this do at Thanksgiving? Oh no, my family, we all agree on everything, right? No, 100% not true. What would it look like for us to love, that was beautiful, that was beautiful. Are you ready and willing to agape love those that you disagree with? So I have a question, love that is so fundamental to Christian life, why is it so difficult? Why is it so challenging? And the answer I believe is because we are raiding the wrong closet. Raiding the wrong closet. We know that we ought to love and so we just try harder. And we hear things like, we're just people trying. We're just people trying. And yet in Colossians chapter three, all the virtues that are listed, compassion, kindness, humility, gentleness, patience, and love, these are all nouns that we are to put on. They don't belong necessarily to us. They aren't found within. These are something that we put on to ourselves. The only verb that we can do is that putting on. That's what we do. We need to move from people who are trying to people who are relying. Relying. Love is not your jacket. 
Patience is not your blouse. Kindness is not your scarf. These are Christ's clothes. These are the Holy Spirit's wardrobe. We know this, church. The wardrobe of the Holy Spirit is love, joy, peace. You can say it with me. Patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. These are the Holy Spirit's garments. But there's good news. There's good news. Christ puts these staples into our closet. For the Christian, these are virtues that are given to us to wear. It's as if that Stussy jacket, those Doc Martens, you know, those guest jeans are actually in my closet. They're mine now. I get to wear them. But Christ doesn't put them on for us. We put them on. Christ provides them for us, but it's our job to put them on, to practice them. So when you put on Christ, church, hear me. When you put on Christ, Christ's love looks so good on you. It looks so good. But first, and this is where we end, we have to start with being a people who are loved by God. Colossians 3 verse 12 says, as God's chosen ones, holy and beloved. Beloved, is that your identity? Is that how you see yourself, that you are God's beloved? We love because God first loved us, and that is where we live out of. We live out of that belovedness. Brennan Manning says in The Furious Longing of God, if you took the love of all the best mothers and fathers who have lived in the course of human history, all their goodness, kindness, patience, fidelity, wisdom, tenderness, strength, and love, and you you united all those qualities into a single person. That person's love would only be a faint shadow of the furious, of the intense love and mercy that's in the heart of God the Father that's addressed to you and to me in this moment. You are intensely loved by God. That's where it all starts. You have to love out of, you have to live out of that place of being loved. I had a childhood mentor of mine that uh, was a hero from a, of the faith. He was like a mentor from a distance. And he lived from and lived out this kind of love because he was first loved by God. In fact, he had a a spiritual practice that he would practice on a regular basis of this, taking off of the old self, literally, and putting on Christ's love. In fact, he modeled this way of love to millions. In fact, you probably, many of you have actually been impacted by his life. He had a little song that he liked to sing, and I thought I'd sing it for you this morning. It's uh, very appropriate for today and for whatever neighborhood you might find yourselves in. Would you uh, play the song for us? If you know the song, feel free. You can sing it with me.
neighborhood, beautiful day in the neighborhood, would you be mine? Could you be mine? It's a neighborly day in the beauty wood, a neighborly day to be a beauty. Would you be mine? Could you be mine? I never thought wanted to have a neighbor just like you. I've always wanted to live in a neighborhood. You. So, so let's make the most of this beautiful day. day. Since, Since we're, we're together, all here, we might, might as well say, would, would you be mine? Could you be mine? Won't you be my neighbor? Come on. Won't you please? Won't, won't you please? Please, please won't, won't you be my neighbor? neighbor? So good. So good. Not. Not the singing. I wasn't saying the singing was good. The singing was pretty terrible. But Fred Rogers, this man who loved Jesus, and he, and he loved from a place of being loved by Christ. He took off his old self, and he put on his new self in Christ. He loved millions of people, demonstrating what this love looks like. And yet for many, this week, this month, this year, has not been a beautiful day in the neighborhood, has it? Which is all the more reason, Christians, church, we have to put on love. It's, it's a command. We have to put it on. We have to love like Jesus. So I'd love for us, together as a church, to read this love declaration. It's a unison reading that we could read together. Join me. We believe in kindness. We believe that small actions can have a large impact, that kindness is contagious. We believe in being neighborly. We believe that gratitude restores the soul, that taking time to say thank you is always worth the effort. And we believe we are missionaries in our neighborhoods that being salt and light in the world means loving and living like Christ. We believe in the life-changing power of friendship. We believe that beautiful days are not made by what we have, but by who we love. We believe in cultivating the fruit of the Spirit, love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. We thank God for this beautiful day. Church, for the well-being of our neighbors, for the reputation of Jesus Christ, let's put on, let's take off, and let's live like and love like Jesus. Let's pray. Lord God, we thank you that you would love us in such a remarkable, passionate, such an intense way that you would pursue us, that you would go the full distance. You wouldn't wait for us to make a move towards you, but you wouldn't wait for us to meet you halfway. You went the full way by meeting us on the cross that we might have life for our well-being. You died so that we could have life. God, out of this place, out of this truth, we are overwhelmed with gratitude stirred, moved by the way in which you've loved us. Lord, we long to put on this love. 
Lord, would you love through us? For your glory, Jesus, we pray. Amen.